Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Watch your bad son. I'm Luke. I'm Captain Captain Dingway of the USS Voyager. Captain Captain Dingway of the USS Welcome to The Greatest Generation. It's a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys just a little bit embarrassed about having a Star Trek podcast. Madam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. Getting ready for Valentine's Day over here. What are you doing to prepare? I don't know. Recording this episode? That's the, as far as I've gotten. <laughs> How's that going over? Uh, bad. Um, how? What's your strategy on Valentine's Day? We We tend to keep it pretty chill over here. But I like early in my relationship, I had a couple of things where like I didn't technically fuck up, but I didn't do a great job at Valentine's Day in terms of like execution. Like I had everything on paper. Yeah. You know, there was one time where like we were going out to dinner and I was like meeting her at work and we were going to go out to dinner and I I had bought her some flowers, but I was like, I'm not going to carry these around to her job and then to the restaurant and then back home. They're just going to get beat up and die. Oh, no, Ben. So they were waiting at home in water. Oh, no. Did you catch some shit for not showing up with flowers? I didn't really catch shit, but it, I could tell she was like, she was like preparing herself for a little bit of disappointment on on that mark. And so like our strategy as a couple has been like set goals that Ben can accomplish in terms of what Valentine's Day looks like. And so what that's become is I I usually make a heart-shaped pizza, which I've been doing since way before all these fucking pizza places started doing it. So uh-huh. don't come at me with I'm copying. They copied me. That, that's a hell of a thing to take credit for. <laughs> and we just, we do a nice night at home, you know? Ben, I've, uh, I've always believed that Valentine's Day was for both people in the couple. You, uh, you subscribe to a... Uh, burden on one person and and by that i mean burden on you kind of way of being no but there's things that like uh i wouldn't feel right not doing for her on a mm-hmm. on a day that's about our connection sure but uh i think we both get something out of the day yeah i've uh i've fortunately found a partner that does not really uh care much about that particular holiday and i know mm-hmm. i'm one of the lucky ones because I look out on that Valentine's Day battlefield and I see a lot of bodies and body parts strewn around. Yeah, it is a day that seems like mainly about setting up disappointment. It's it's like New Year's Eve, but yeah. it's in uh, February. It's it's like New Year's Eve for blowing relationships apart. <laughs> I mean, it is for many couples the one last hurdle after which you can finally break up with that person. Mm-hmm. Like... Just got to make it to Valentine's Day. That that's a thought that a lot of people have. Hey, if you're just th- if you're out there thinking about just hanging on until Valentine's Day and then doing it after, just do it now. Just do it now. Just get Come it on. over with. You don't want to go to that restaurant with that sort of relationship Damocles hanging over you. Because I know you probably already know this. Valentine's Day solo, fucking great. Yeah. Y- you got no problems. Yeah. Smooth sailing. Yeah. Um, my wife and I have been together for 15 years as of uh, a few days ago. Congratulations. Yeah. About that. Pretty good run. Yeah. We've had two seven-year itches, and we made it past them. <laughs> Jeez. Uh, well, speaking of the battlefield of love, let's talk murder, Adam. 
Yeah, very similar battlefield for so many, I guess. <laughs> yeah, this is uh, this is not quite the episode I thought we were going to get when I read the description, but uh, I'm, I'm excited to talk to you about this ep of Star Trek Voyager, Season 7, Episode 13, Repentance. Reverse course. Unless you've got something a little bigger in your torpedo tubes. I'm not turning around. <laughs> I feel like there was a time in television history where you would get a very special episode kind of treatment to the preview yeah. for this one. Like when an episode hues very closely to a a current event or a topic yeah. in the zeitgeist. I seem to remember all of the previews for Star Trek episodes on uh, Channel 44 having a real like, this is an action show about people punching each other kind of energy to them like next time on star trek voyager yeah that really was that kind of emphasis to just about every trailer for an episode and that voiceover guy didn't have the special episode mode i don't think i know for greatest gen it was uh i thought it was gulardi i thought it was paul thomas anderson's dad that did that voice oh really yeah man i don't know if he stuck around for voyager or deep space nine i mean Maybe Wendy can find a uh, a snippet of the trailer for this episode, and we'll see yeah. how our uh, our recollection of that compares to what they actually ran. The galaxy's most dangerous criminals just escaped. All eight murderers. And Wednesday, they're taking Voyager hostage. Stay away, I'll kill her! An all-new episode. We have a very brief cold open in this episode. We start with looking out the view screen over Tom Paris's shoulder at a ship in distress. There's, it's venting plasma or something. Yeah. And they beam survivors out of this ship to whose distress call they've been responding. And uh, the first group we see is a whole bunch of people in the cargo bay. And there's kind of two different types of uniforms on the people that appear. And uh, the ones that uh, are in the foreground are very worried that they did not materialize with their weapons in hand. It's a very natural reaction for any starship captain for the Federation, right? You got to beam the injured directly to sickbay. You got to get the uninjured just in a place where you can keep them. And the cargo bay makes a lot of sense. But for the people in the cargo bay, they are horrified to learn that a few of them are missing. They're most dangerous, you could say. Yeah. And uh, those people have been sent to Six Bay due to injuries. And uh, when we cut to Six Bay, we see one of them on the floor, on that beautiful carpeted floor of, of the Six Bay. And then we, we whip pan up to the other who has a scalpel to Seven's neck. And uh, he's taken hostages, man. Make a move and the bunny gets it. I love the idea of casting for this part. Because this part is, I'm going to do it, man. Back off. <laughs> like that energy. Yeah. You got to have that, but not in a cartoonish way. You got to have it like all the way in a serious way. Yeah. And the actor who plays this character, Jeff, Jeff Kober, is so good at this. He really is. He has sort of a like a Thomas Hayden churchness to him. Yeah. They're like, you know how Thomas Hayden Church always seems a bit like he's going to cry? 
I have never thought that about him. Okay. But but I'm going to yes and this. Okay. I don't know. I recently watched the uh, the Peacock series Twisted Metal where Thomas mm-hmm. Hayden Church plays a psychotic police officer in a post-apocalyptic car-based future. Is he just someone with wet eyes or was he hanging teardrip? I don't know if he's doing it on purpose or not, but um, yeah, like, I, don't, I mean, ever since Sideways, he's just seemed like a guy who's like emotionally on a knife's edge every time mm. I see him in anything. And, uh-huh. and this guy really like gave me that in this scene, like to the extent that I was like, is that Thomas Hayden church under that loaf? Yeah. No, it's Jeff Cobra. I mean, Thomas Hayden church, also a man who has a great, great voice. Yeah. Like a Jeff Cobra. Stay away, I'll kill her! 45 second cold open. Like we are in and out. Don't you feel like Seven is maybe the worst person to take in the grasp like this? Because... What's stopping her free arms from like tubule, tubule right into this guy's nuts? Like you'd never see that coming. You'd never see it coming. And like tubule doesn't seem like it would take you down that fast, but tubule to the nuts for sure would. Absolutely. Yeah. Could you use the tubules as like a whip, like a whipping device? Like not just to insert the nanoprobes, but like to... Mm. Yeah, or like to garrot somebody. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, could she whip it around this, the back of this guy's neck and like... Yeah, there's that guy in Johnny Mnemonic that has the, the fingernail that he can pull out and it right. makes like, a, like an electric garrot. I wish we were drilling down a little bit more into the tubules and what they yeah. can and can't do. Yeah. Like, could the tubules drink your milkshake? <laughs> Sounds great. That'd be fun. <laughs> <laughs> you mean from all the way across the room? <laughs> it doesn't have to be violent tubules for violent purposes. It could it could be fun. You could do bits. More bits on tubules, I yeah. think, is, is a new rule of greatest gen. Yeah, I'd like that a lot. So uh, we get Tuvok and uh, the, the main guy that they beamed over that isn't one of the prisoners. Uh, when we come back, they, they march into Six Bay. This guy's named Warden Yedick. Mm-hmm. of the Nigerian detention force. And um, they're trying to talk this maniac down. He wants a ship. He wants food. The food part's pretty important as a detail here, I thought, in retrospect. Yeah, it's not duffel bag full of money. It's duffel bag full of food. Right. A duffel bag full of soup, if he can get it. <laughs> if Neelix can make enough. <laughs> Do you like ramen? It is rather... Here's something a a scientist type person in our FOD community could answer is like because famously heat made mm. those duffel bags full of cash so cumbersome. Cash is heavy, especially right. when you have all those bricks. If right. you have a heat sized bag full of cash and you have a heat sized bag full of soup, what's heavier? Ooh, man, I got to I got to guess the soup is heavier. I would say so, but I don't think it's by much. You need a piece of luggage with a really high tensilary strength. Yeah. Also, like the slosh energy of it yeah. would make it even harder to carry because cash doesn't have slosh energy, right? No, it doesn't. It doesn't slip slosh around. You know who has, has sloth energy? Mm. The monster from Goonies. <laughs> I haven't seen it, so I don't know. <laughs> Uh, we got to sneak that into the pilot project over on Greatest Trek. Oh, shit. (laughs) Just do that randomly. (laughs) 
Uh, Seven gets away from this guy, and so he grabs Mark. Oh, hi, Mark. And I love, I love Mark's take here. He's just like rolling his eyes from the second he's grabbed, <laughs> and Tuvok just shoots right through him. Like he's you know not even wearing the mobile emitter. You don't even have to aim. Tuvok shoots the hostage. Yeah. In a in a speed parlance. He sure does. Fantastic. You think there's a moment where Tuvok forgot Dr. Mark was a hollow? Yeah. And he was just willing to cut through him? <laughs> and uh, Keanu Reeves' character is, is right there. And he's like, whoa, man. I mean, I said that you, I knew you said that's what you do when I asked you, what do you do? But I didn't think you'd actually do it. Is the secret to a great Keanu the ew? <laughs> yeah, I think... Because I heard that a bunch in what you just said, and I was like, God damn, that's a great Keanu. And it's about jutting your your jaw out Yeah. when you say, what did you do? What did you do? Well. <laughs> <laughs> so we get a little McLaughlin group Issue one. in the captain's office with Yedick. He explains like, oh, yeah, these are these are the worst of the worst. This was a prisoner transport. And we didn't use the uh, escape pods on our ship because you can't let these guys just get away in a, in a life raft. You can't risk them getting free. This is a situation that needs to get unfucked right now! Yedick talks about this very casually. He's like, look, guys, I'm sure you understand. These are dangerous criminals. Couldn't, couldn't risk escape in those escape pods. You know, we're doing an execution milk run. And <laughs> I'm sure you know what that's like. We got to take these murderers off to be executed. And if you could help us out here by meeting up with one of our transports or, uh, I don't know, turning around, uh, that would be very helpful for us. Yeah. And I think whether or not Chicote or Janeway like believe in the cause or whatever, they do have a really great reason to say they can't do that. Like, no, that's actually in the other direction. There's coffee in the opposite direction. We can't just go in reverse. <laughs> yeah. That's uh, that's not happening. Yeah. Not for you, buddy. Yeah. Of course, it's locked in. What? Listen to me very carefully, because I'm only going to say this once. Warden Yedick is played by Tim Dazarn, who has one TNG credit, one DS9 credit, and a couple of Voyager credits. And I just love that for him. Just, yeah. Uh, yeah, I just came back for each series. Maybe he gets a little pin every time he does a series. Yeah, so he's like, all right, well, I'll get somebody to come out, pick him up then. Um, if you guys could just just pause for a little while at the very least. And Janeway seems okay with that, and uh, they leave. And uh, there is a little bit of a conversation between Chakotay and Janeway. Like, God, like these guys are going, going to capital punish these people. That is something that we vehemently disagree with as a people. What about that? And Janeway's like, Okay, hands are tied. Prime directive. <laughs> yeah, she's eating a very messy sandwich at her desk and using tissues as napkins. <laughs> they never give you any napkins in this place. <laughs> what am I supposed to use? We could have offered to turn around, but you blew it. <laughs> you blew it. <laughs> Down in Six Bay, we learned that Mark is glitching out a little bit. You're damaged. I thought that this Mark glitching out from getting hit by the phaser was going to turn into more of a storyline than it did. No. At a certain point, it's just not an issue anymore. I mean, what it is is an excuse to get Dr. Mark and Seven in the same room. I guess, but it seems like it should have been more an excuse to get BLT in the same room with Dr. Mark. Who I feel like would have very different opinions about capital punishment. 
Yeah. It would have been interesting to hear them talk about mm-hmm. this as an issue because I feel like they would be of similar mind. Yeah, actually get Mark out of there. Yeah. Get Mark out of there. Maybe replace Mark with Tom Paris. Get BLT in there. Oh, man. All of a sudden it's domestic and professional. This it's danger close for Tom Paris. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Ike was like, I murdered folks and I am really uncomfortable with what I'm seeing <laughs> in the six bay right now. Like, if you could just drop me off to be executed, that would actually be very helpful for me. This is like one of the only two rooms on this ship that I've seen. Do you have private quarters that you could go talk this <laughs> through in? <laughs> They've really rolled the red carpet out for the uh, the Nigerian detention force people that they are hosting because Tuvok has constructed a full cell block yeah. in one of the cargo bays in record time. Each guy gets a cell and there's a big long row of them and the Nigerian guys will be uh, watching them. They can't take their guns out of the cargo bay, but when they're in there, they can be armed. This comes together so easy and fast. I kind of feel like Tuvok's wanted this for a long time. Yeah, he's like, I, I happen to have the plans drawn up. I can just feed them into the replicator now if you'd like, Captain. Wife goes away on a work trip. Suddenly the guest room is turned into like the golf simulator or, or the pool <laughs> table room. Like, how did you assemble this so fast? Yeah. There used yeah. to be a hide-a-bed in here. You know what he's been doing? He's been eating Neelix food the entire <laughs> time and saving up all of his replicator rations for this one big splurge. I love the scene that we don't get here, which is Tuvok deciding on the finishes and the configuration here, because it's not just like cubicle walls, like in the Federation brig parlance or whatever. Like there's like chain link and stuff like he made choices here. You know that there was like a book of swatches, you know, that like, (laughs) you know, he like put different colors of paint up on the wall and stood back and like took a look at him. Yeah. The montage hit the cutting room floor, (laughs) sadly. And what we're left with is, uh, is just the result. And the result is pretty cold. Neelix enters with a, uh, a bar cart with a couple of big pots on it. And, uh, he's preparing to give uh, rations to the prisoners. And Yannick uh, like takes one look at this and is like, no way, man. Like They don't deserve nice food. And everybody's like, have, have you checked out what Neelix serves yet? Like You haven't been on board the ship that long. Like Before you prejudge what he's given them, like this is pretty close to bread and water, man. You know what's messed up is like we've had people on death row on Voyager before and they actually don't want a last meal. It's kind of (laughs) fucked up. At the end, they're begging to go. (laughs) Tuvok uh, kicks Yedek right back in the nuts and is like, if you're on our ship, like these guys are eating the food that we have prepared for them. And, you know, to his credit, Yedek is like, all right, well, you know, your house, your rules. And uh, they start passing this out. Uh, The first person that gets some is the guy in the cell across from Iko, the uh, the guy that took seven hostage. Uh, this guy is named Joleg, mm-hmm. and uh, he's the first to, to get served his food. And he seems real nice. He seems like a nice guy. Yeah. I like the little hole that they open up in the force field. I didn't know they could do that. 
it kind of seems like it could be a glory hole force field situation <laughs> for uh, for visits. Yeah, but you don't want to be still in it when uh, the force field snaps back to full coverage mode, right? You want to be super aware of how much time you have left. I lasted 22 minutes. <laughs> it's so sad though, right? Because he's like so appreciative to be getting this bowl of food. But that's before he eats it, right? It's it's the bitter irony of a prisoner thinking that they're getting a good thing. It's a, yeah. it's almost like a country song, Adam. It's almost like Joe Leg, Joe Leg, Joe Leg, Joe Leg. The Ola roots are in this prison food. It's kind of that sort of thing, you know. It is exactly that. Not only does he appreciate Neelix for the food, he kind of likes Neelix for standing up to Yedic, right? Yeah. He's like, we've been taking shit off of that guy for years, and look at you. You just roll in here with a, a cart full of soup? Look at how brave you are. Instantly, Neelix has found his 11 biggest fans. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In Six Bay, Dr. Mark and Sefin are working on fixing the the hollow matrix, I guess, and having a little debate about whether killing is bad and whether killing killers is bad. And it's pretty like mathematical for Seven. She's just like, you know, you can't do anything to uh, make this better for the families of the victims other than executing them. And that's that also like has the benefit of ensuring that they'll never reoffend. So uh, I have no problem with this. And Dr. Mark has a, of a, a much softer touch about this. I think it helps with them being in proximity to Ico, right? Because you can have this argument about what you believe. And then in the very same scene, you can be confronted by a guy giving a totally unhinged performance about how badly he wants to murder all of you as soon as he's able to get free from yeah. his uh, from his cell, right? Yeah. We kind of cross-cut from this back down to the cell area, and he's like, Iko's telling Yedek about like the names of his children and stuff. Yeah. And it's like, man, like I don't like Yedek at all, but this Iko guy is really scary. And he's also like, we learn from Jolig that he's like been stealing food from all the other prisoners. Like he's, he's like really the alpha scary guy in the prison. I just could not take my eyes off of Jeff Kober as Iko. I thought he gave one of the best performances from a guest star I've ever seen in Star Trek. Yeah. I feel bad about bringing up Thomas Hayden Church. I don't want to take flowers away from Jeff Kober. He rules. There was a thing I was served on uh, on Instagram lately. I get I get a lot of short video snippets from like film studies or film interview type accounts. And one of these clips I just saw was so interesting and it made me and this performance made me think of it. It was Martin Landau talking about what a great actor does. And his point was like Great performances are about an actor resisting the natural impulse that a person would have and then having that fight through the resistance. Like Thomas Hayden Church. Right. <laughs> and when I see like what Ico is doing here, there's like something seething under the surface yeah. there that makes his performance so compelling in that uh, Martin Landau kind of way. He does a great job, but uh, boy, does he piss off Warden Yedick. Who yep. has the force field dropped and they start, you know, 
hitting him with the butt of the rifle and curb stomping him and stuff. And uh, the like Federation security guys that are down there have to come down and, uh, and stop this beat down at phaser point. These are hard pipe hitting Nigerians. <laughs> hey, don't call them Nigerians. Come on. Is that not what Yedik is? It's just not your word, Adam. Oh, okay. I know you don't want to do it. Coffee black. Make it yourself. I'm trying to help you see this as an opportunity to grow. Make it yourself. They have a meeting about this in Janeway's office. Issue two. Yedick is like, yeah, like we had to beat him up because he was threatening my kids. And he's, he's a really bad guy. Like you have no idea what this guy is capable of. Like he murders without a thought for no fucking reason. Like he didn't. You you want if somebody's gonna murder to like have had motive, you know? He didn't even have motive. You think you're so in control, Janeway? What if he had said something about Tom Mervins or one of your many Irish setters? <laughs> <laughs> what are you capable of then? Janeway just like grabs a phaser and goes down and shoots him while he's like unconscious on a six pay bed. <laughs> Chicote is like, I confront those feelings in myself all the time, and here's what I do. And the camera yeah. goes down to his hands, and he snaps a pencil. <laughs> <laughs> I immediately feel better. <laughs> the, the urge to kill is completely gone at that point. You should see my quarters. It looks like a dive bar, but it's <laughs> pencils instead of peanut shells. <laughs> Janeway tries to get through to Yedek here that... Like, a forceful response to an asshole, even if it's righteous, it makes a bully into a victim. Yeah. And that's exactly what they want. Someone like Aiko doesn't learn anything from that, even if you're on the right side of a conflict. And not only that, she's like, yeah, Yedek, you and your guards can get the fuck out of the brig. This is Tuvok's area now. Did you think it was weird that there were weapons in the brig at all? I got a small arsenal in the belly of the plane, a pistol in the cockpit lockbox. That's it. I felt like it was weird that they ever let Yedek's men yeah. do this job at all. Like That's so too. Like arming them and like putting them to work in this way felt like a weird choice. These are their guns. But now it's Tuvok's job and uh, Tuvok is going to do it right. And Yedek's like, he doesn't know anything about running a prison. And she's like, I think you'll find that he had the plans for this in the back page of his notebook for a long time, Yedek. <laughs> He may have had one slip-up where he shot through our holographic doctor, believing him to be a real man. I think he'll be fine from now on. Believe me, he's qualified. So down in Six Bay, Ico is down there for the second time with big, big injuries. And uh, Seven is uh, called down there by Dr. Mark. And Dr. Mark has done a brain scan of Ico and found that he has some, some brain injury where nanoprobes would be a great way to fix it. Otherwise, uh, he's going to succumb to the the beating that he took. And she's like, well, what's the, like, he's going to death row. Like, what, how hard do we need to work to save this guy? And Dr. Mark talks her into it, talks her into a nanoprobe donation to repair this brain injury. Couple of things about this. Do you think that there are a finite amount of nanoprobes for Seven to be giving, and that is in any way part of her reluctance. I feel like she must make new ones, but like, cause, cause like, there was that like Ferengi heist episode where they were trying to get the nanoprobes, and there was like a lot of them. Uh huh. 
but like she's given them so many times. I, I got to believe that she's she's re- replenishing her supply over time. Are nanoprobes like the stem cells of Star Trek Voyager? Because it really yeah. seems like they could do anything. They do. They fix everything. I'd be making smoothies with them every morning. That's the thing now. When uh, our baby was born, we saved stem cells from the, I guess, from like the placenta or something. Oh, yeah. Are you keeping cord in your freezer? Yeah, we have cord blood like in a in a in a cryogenic facility somewhere. I don't know where it is. They probably keep that stuff separate from the ropes, right? And the heads. Different shelves. Because you know those cryo facilities probably keep everything. I mean, you go into any commercial kitchen, they they do a real good job of putting a bit of masking tape on the on the Cambro and labeling it. You know, it's Ted Williams's head. It's it's Benjamin R. Harrison's preserved ropes. <laughs> it's Darone's cord blood i may be shocking people to say this i've never frozen my ropes (laughs) huh yeah so neelix back down to uh to do another meal service in the hooskow and uh he starts talking to joleg again this is the delight of the second time the flight attendant goes through the aisle. Like, you're on a three-hour flight you basically only expect them to go down one time but you get that second surprise trip where you get that second bag of sun chips or something yeah that's nice another tequila soda incredible okay joleg is uh is pretty surprised by this uh because they've been lucky to get one meal out of the uh nigeans and um he is not the same type of loaf as some of the other people that they got off this ship he is a ben karen and uh to hear him talk about it, seems like Joleg may have been wrongfully convicted. He was just around the murder. He didn't do it. Just uh, happened to be in the area, and they scooped him up and pinned the crime on him because of his background. Yeah. I love that while they're having this conversation, like guys down the cell block are are like shouting, like, stop talking and make <laughs> it with the food. We are fucking hungry. I love all the piping up from the other cells. That's big fun. Joe Leg, Joe Leg, Joe Leg, Joe Leg. I'm begging you to shut up so we can eat. There's two forces working here that I think work well together. And that is Neelix kind of being a rube and a mark. But also, Joe Leg having Riz. Yeah. Another really... Superlative performance by a guest performer, I think. Yeah. Uh, this actor's name is F.J. Rio, and I thought he did a great job. It really tugs at the heartstrings. Like, when he's talking to, to Neelix about this, it hits. I love the lighting in the brig area. It's, like, it's so dark and moody. And, like, when you go into the close-up on Neelix, he is, it's just, like, blackness behind him so he feels really isolated even though there's like a guard standing right next to him mm-hmm. like when he's talking to Joleg it feels like he's really alone with this interaction yeah I like that a lot this is a great set they did a nice job with it and uh, this starts to really eat at Neelix but uh, meanwhile we cut back to Six Bay where Mark has uh, has patched Ico up he's doing a lot better they're like yeah we uh, we put nanoprobes in you and he's like what are those and um they're like, I don't know. Like, if you haven't heard of the Borgs, like, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you, man. They they point to Seven's tubules, and he's like, oh, 
<laughs> Those were in, in me. <laughs> <laughs> like super hardened quadruple murder prisoner. Like cannot take the idea of of assimilation. Assimilation tubules. Yeah. Gross. He's really taken with Seven, not because he has like a romantic interest in her, but because she looks back at him with no fear in her eyes. Like there's no, there's nothing about her him that intimidates her, and he's just not used to that when interacting with anyone. He's like, I don't love you, Seven. I love the way you look at me, and what that's made me become. <laughs> And then he starts singing, the soldier boy to the war has gone. This is fucking spectacular. Back in the mess hall, I feel like Neelix is going to burn something if he's cooking and reading about anything else besides the recipe or whatever. Yeah. I also love the partition between the cooking area and the front of house. That's great. Yeah. I thought it was such a funny reveal when BLT and Tom threw it open too, like a... a cute couple alert. We're uh, we're opening up the partition because we're ready for dinner. And Neelix is like, "Oh yeah, it'll be ready in fifteen minutes." I'm just like deep in the law books about Nigerian slash Benkaran politics. And uh, did you know that the Nigerians do not have a like equal justice under the law thing totally figured out the way we do back in the Federation? And they're like. Fuck, what a trip. Anyways, what's for dinner? I love BLT and Paris's attitude here because I feel like I feel like you see this a lot. Like the latest cause from someone who just read about it on the Wikipedia has like turned it into <laughs> like whatever the Coney 2016 is of of like today. Like yeah. they look at Neelix and they're like, You're such a fucking rube, man. Like it's always like this with you. You don't know what you're talking about. You're a chef, and you're barely good at that. I really envy, like, I think that Tom and Polana's politics are, are are not mine in this scene. Like, they're like, yeah, like, whatever, that's their system, and, and you can't question it, man. And, like, Neelix is like, yeah, but they, you know, convict at a 10 times higher rate, and, like, it's all clearly tilted just based on the data, I love how BLT shuts the fuck up because I I have a suspicion that the Klingon justice system <laughs> is not much better. <laughs> yeah. What I admire about the two of them is the like, hey, we're at dinner and we're not trying to make every problem in the universe more important than that right this second. We'll go fight for what's right later. Right now we need to eat is basically where they're coming from. This has been a feeling in my life for maybe the past several years. It's it's just the, like, we can't fight every problem at, at every moment. Like, let's right. have the dinner. Neelix is doom scrolling in this scene is what's happening. He is. Well, I've got your attention. Do it. Do it. Over in Six Bay, Dr. Mark is explaining why he wasn't hurt earlier to Aiko. And his explanation makes Aiko talk in song lyrics here. I loved his dialogue. (laughs) I wish I was made of light. 
Aiko is uh, having a whole different experience of the world right now because yeah. uh, Seven walks in and Mark is like, hey, like, so the, the nanoprobe thing went so well. I want to get some more out of you so I can put more of them in him. And she's like, yeah, okay, whatever. Does she need a refractory period for this? No, she... <laughs> She's like Marky Mark, you know, she can just go right away. That's awesome. So they're like doing the extraction and, you know, they're talking about the possibility like, you know, Ico seems all sensitive now, but maybe he's just doing that to trick you. And mm -hmm. they hear him from around the corner. He's getting personal bangers dropped on his belly. And after the doctor scans him and can't find anything medically wrong with him, they come to the realization that he is experiencing clinical grade guilt this seem familiar to you in any way yeah <laughs> i mean i've never done anything as bad as what aiko has done but like i do feel like i feel as bad as aiko does in this moment when i think about the time when i was like seven years old and my family took a trip to yosemite and i was walking around in my hooded sweatshirt cinched all the way closed around my nose pretending i was an astronaut and i just like walked through a room in the hotel where a black tie <laughs> gathering of some like rich people was happening and an entire room full of people in tuxedos turned and pointed and laughed at me. That's a thing I think about, you know, every night as I'm falling asleep and makes me feel as much pain as Ico feels in this moment. What an amazing boy you were. <laughs> <laughs> just incredible it didn't feel like that at the time <laughs> tell you what so there's this tension between seven and dr mark that i feel like neelix got a little bit of in the previous scene like seven is thinking that dr mark is being manipulated in the same way that paris and blt felt neelix was right and her take is like when bad people are being nice to good people just to get what they want or like they make themselves into the victim towards certain people in order to get like support against people who might have very credible reasons not to trust them. Yeah. Just th so that like they can effectively launder their bad reputation through someone's good reputation. Hmm. That's how a sociopath moves through the world, right? Yeah. This is what she's trying to convey to the doctor. He is much more just curious about what is going on yeah. than thinking about this from a like higher level, like interpersonal strategy standpoint. Do you feel like the doctor is more able to get this though than Neelix? Like the doctor being a self-avowed student of what we'll have to agree to call humanity. My very name is racist. Yeah. I, sh I meant sociology, like being with people and stuff in the world. Yeah, I do. But he's also just distracted. Like he gets the brain scan info back and like they're looking at this and he's like, man, this brain is rewiring itself in a bunch of ways that I did not plan on when we put the nanoprobes in. And Iko at this point is like, you got to get these out of me. Like, I do not like feeling bad about what I did. Like this, this is fucking the worst. Like going to my certain death was better than this. There's a transition here because the doctor originally kind of ties it to the Hippocratic Oath of like, I don't think people should be executed for any reason. And then there there is determined to be like a medical reason for why that might have been the case for Ico, like why he was predisposed to 
his violent tendencies and now he may not have that due to what's going on in his brain. It's like, do you wish that the doctor was either one or the other or like maybe he was never the first one and only the second one? Because he seems to be like having it all ways with his reasons. This episode zigged when I thought it was going to zag so many times. Yeah, that's what I'm getting at. Because like the next scene is like, not about what the doctor is doing, like trying to get to the bottom of like what is normal for this kind of brain, like by, you know, transmitting data with Nigerian medical science people or something. Mm-hmm. It's Ico and Seven talking about their kind of shared love of stars and like Ico thinking back to his childhood. And I mean, like he's never going to love stars as much as Seven does. She's cataloged six billion of them. Like you can't, you can't fucking compete. Ico. She's kind of gatekeeping the stars thing. Yeah, yeah. She's kind of girl bossing in the <laughs> scene. And it's like a little unfortunate. Interesting that Ico, you know, feeling the feelings of a guilty conscience as a result of the nanoprobes, like, wants the nanoprobes out. Don't give me more. Take out what I've already been given. Yeah, and and you know, he and Seven like connect on this kind of emotional basis that seems to give him some comfort. Despite all of that, Mm -hmm. we cut down to the detention facility where uh, Neelix and Joleg are playing a game of Cotascot. Neelix is like uh, to Joleg, you want to play a game of Cotascot? And Joleg is like, I mean, well, some people call it a bed, but to me, I Cotascot. And Neelix is like, no, I mean the game, like with shapes. Mm. And Joleg is like, I know, I Cotascot a rectangle, I guess. And Neelix is like, no, it's for children. <laughs> and Joleg is like, not this one. Look at it. You can't cut a scout for kids. It's too big. <laughs> I really like that. Um, yeah, because like triangle in Star Trek, totally normal for a cut Exactly. They're playing a nice game. They're talking about, uh, you know, the research that Neelix has been doing. I've been doing my own research and I've learned a lot of disappointing things about the way Ben Karns get treated. When people uh, begin a conversation with an allusion to doing their own research, that's usually a good time to just sort of punch out of that conversation. Yeah. This poor guy cannot leave because he's in a cell. This might be the most cruel and unusual situation yeah. <laughs> that Joe Leg has ever found himself in. You hear one of the other prisoners down the down the hallway singing Joe Leg, Joe Leg, Joe Leg, Joe Leg. Nigerian justice leaves a lot to be desired. This justice system in his specific case seems especially cruel or unjust because we heard earlier that he was just around a murder and the victims of that murder are able to determine the level of punishment for the criminal that's found guilty. Yeah. So like in this case, that feels like, oh man, he didn't even do it. He was just around it. But like in general, thinking about it broadly, I don't hate it. Well, it's this doctrine that they have in Nigerian law called favor the victims. Mm -hmm. And it like leaves a lot of those decisions to them. Instead of it, a dispassionate judge or whatever, like a judge, like the Cotascot game is, is like made an example of this, like, right. And Neelix's feelings about it. Like a judge could never understand 
how precious an object or a person could be to a person or a victim's family or whatever, like the victim or the victim's family could. Yeah. And so it, one might find it more just to have the victims decide what the punishment is. Right. But there's also like a pay to play element. Yeah, that's gross. Where if you're rich enough, you can like financially compensate the the family instead of, you know, succumbing to their punishment. That sucks. And another thing that Joe Leg has to stand on that makes Neelix kind of admire him is he's like, I would never admit guilt, so I'm not going to pay them off. Like, even if I had the money for it, I wouldn't yeah. do it because that would be copping to this thing that I didn't do. Got any more soup? Neelix is like, I'm going to go down to the mess hall and check. And I'm also going to write a letter to your brother to let him know what's going on. That seems very innocent at this moment in time. It really does. I've got to get that platinum. Get that robe enlargement. <laughs> I've got to get that platinum. Not. Are you planning a heist? Gold. One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time, and they send in their books, they send in paintings, they send in uh, crochet work. It's so cool. And uh, I want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters. I want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it, we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves. And you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace. It'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool, creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com slash scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Boy, do I love a microdose gummy from Lumi Labs. I'm, uh, I'm running low, so I'm going to head over to microdose.com pretty soon and put in another order. Microdosing is a technique I use to steer my mentals in a preferred direction several times a week. And uh, I just love it because you can really predict what is going to happen and to what degree it is going to happen. Because these are very low dose cannabis gummies that uh, give you an entry level dose that help you feel just the right amount of good. And they've been super loyal as sponsors to Greatest Trek and Greatest Gen, so I hope you will give them a try. Get 30% off your first order, plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com. Promo code is SCARVES for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. 
I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on. Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Over in six bay seven thinks she's doing a nice thing by bringing Ico an astrometric log. I love the take here for Ico. He's like, "What the fuck is this? Words and numbers? I can't read. I can't jack it to this." <laughs> Iko is fully in the throes of both guilt and that sense of like, just get it over with, just yeah. kill me. Because he looks at, at Seven's dolphin and is like, even looking at you makes me think of all the hurt I've caused yeah. and I've deserved to die for all that. And this is a conversation that's interrupted by Dr. Mark because uh, he shows both Seven and Janeway a scan of a healthy Nigerian brain. And in this healthy brain, there's this node that makes having a normal moral conscience possible. And Iko was born with a birth defect that left him without this thing. And the nanoprobes are what repaired it. And that's why he's having these stomach problems. And uh, I mean, with this thing repaired, he's now in control of his bad murderous impulses. Like, it seems pretty clear that he'd be incapable of murdering over and over again the way he used to. But should we risk it is a question that they put to Yannick in the next scene in a great big McLaughlin group. Issue three. Where he's like, what? <laughs> Yannick, who we have not seen in quite some time on screen. Yeah. Ever since he got in big trouble for ordering Iko to be beaten nearly to death. Don't you wish we saw a little bit more of Yedek's life on the ship? Because he is also a prisoner in a way. A prisoner to this life, this punitive yeah. life. Like, what does he do? He is very skeptical of this pitch that they have. Like, they're saying, like, Iko is a new man. Like, mm -hmm. because the conscience has been activated and plugged in, it is very unlikely that he will do the kinds of things that he has done before. And he's like... I don't care. <laughs> yeah. And this is another another valence to the they're just deceiving you argument. Like right. this time it's at Tuvok and Seven and, and the captain. But Janeway believes that an appeal and like having this new situation evaluated in the Nigerian form of due process is the way forward. And so she orders Yadik to sit down with Tuvok and draft the appeal. And you talked about wanting to see what Yaddick has been up to in the meantime since he got kicked out of jail guard duty. I wanted to see him and Tuvok having to collaborate on writing a letter together. 
<laughs> it sounds like a nightmare. Yeah. As anyone who's tried to write anything with anyone else collaboratively would agree with. Like, especially when one person's looking over the other person's shoulder. Oh, the worst. That doesn't work. Yeah. So uh, off screen, I guess it happens. But uh, we cut back to Six Bay where Seven and Aiko are having another conversation. This is the scene where she reveals like he's he asked her if it was like painful when they installed the dolphin and she denied it earlier and she reveals that it was super painful in this scene and also reveals that like body count wise he does not have shit on her yeah <laughs> she knows from murder she knows from wanton cruelty and she kind of connects with him on the basis of because he didn't have a conscience because she was in the thrall of the borgs Neither of them are responsible for the bad things that they've done. You're a different person now. You don't deserve to be executed. I think this is a really interesting moment in the episode because it sort of sets up this thing where you can tell that Seven is really living through Aiko's experience by proxy from here on in. Like, can she be absolved of the horrible things she's done via him seeking absolution in the Nigerian justice system. And the stakes are really high for her in that way. Yeah, she goes through a great character arc this episode. Yeah, I thought so too. In the Briggs area, Aiko does this thing because he's been transferred back there. He didn't want any special treatment in Six Bay anymore. Yeah. He does this thing where he does pull-ups with his fingers using the grate above his cell. Yeah. I got to get a pump. That's it. Get it. And this is the second time he's he's done that this episode. It is so intimidating. It's great. <laughs> I wonder if that was in the script because like the set design department had to build it strong enough for that yeah. to be possible. But you never see his whole body, so I think he's probably just standing on a thing like Oh, maybe, yeah. faking it. I love the idea that the actor came in and was like, I'm going to make a choice here and like grab the set and just like ripped it apart accidentally. <laughs> really great. This is the scene where it is really revealed what a new leaf Ico has turned over because Neelix is trying to give him his shit on a shingle and he's like, hey, don't give it to me. Give it to that guy that I used to steal my food from. This is the time that Neelix is like, I'm not sure if I trust you, man. <laughs> But uh, he gives the food to the other guy, and uh, the other guy flings cum at him, and it's like dripping from his hair. Jesus. Mate, you stupid fuck! Where did that come from? It's like that scene in Silence of the Lambs. Oh, okay. God. I think about a lot of scenes from that movie. I don't think of that scene. Really? Yeah. That's like the most... Crazy moment in that movie. A lot of crazy moments. Isn't it crazy how often Silence of the Lambs was shown on on television, like cable television? And by that, I mean not HBO. I mean like TBS or whatever. Did they show that part? No, that's what I'm saying. Like I watched that on on TNT dozens of times, and so yeah. I so like the memories of that film are largely yeah, without yeah. the cum throwing. <laughs> You're like, why is Clarice so upset by that other guy? <laughs> and why did Dr. Lecter talk him into biting his tongue off and swallowing it and killing himself? Yeah, a lot of questions. Very mysterious movie to me. <laughs> <laughs> I 
Uh, spoiler alert for Silence of the Lambs. Uh, we cut to Janeway's office where Seven shows up and Janeway's like, well, they sent the letter in that Tuvok and this guy Yaddick worked on together. They worked, they sat down in a room together and wrote a letter and Yaddick didn't even really believe in the letter. He didn't want to appeal this, but I made him and I he worked with Tuvok on it and they sent it. And Seven's like, yeah, yeah, we established that. And Janeway's like, no, I know, but it's just fucking nuts that they actually did that. Anyways, they sent it and the family's not into it. <laughs> Janeway and, and Yaddick just talk a lot about how weird and difficult it must have been to even draft the letter to begin with. Yeah, and, and Yaddick's like, no, it's like, honestly, like I've had a long career as a prison warden. One of the hardest things I've ever had to do. <laughs> I mean, and and this kind of gets Janeway off the hook for making a decision. That, that decision was taken out of her hands. They're just going to yeah. abide by what the family said here. And so Yaddick fucks off and leave Seven and Janeway to discuss the situation going forward. And Seven cops to the idea that she and Iko are are similar. Like, yeah. aren't they both deserving a chance to atone for their crimes? And if Iko is guilty, does that also mean Seven is guilty? Seven is like, I had this opportunity uniquely to reclaim my humanity. And doesn't he deserve that too? And Jane was like, oh, Seven, I wish you hadn't put it that way. That's really offensive. If you could only hear yourselves. They don't get to conclude this conversation here crucially because they're interrupted <laughs> by this banger. Yeah. And uh, that's because they're being attacked by a mystery ship, an attack that's working so well. Power is failing all over the ship, including where this brig has been built, and that means those force fields holding the prisoners in are now gone. And these criminals are escaping, and they're overpowering the guards and taking the weapons. This is why you don't have weapons there. No weapons on the aircraft, period. You can't have weps, Ben. Weps is not the key. <sighs> yeah. I know that we're in Star Trek, and they beam the poops out, but this is a prison riot. Mm-hmm. There are two things you need in prison riot scenes. One is guards in like SWAT outfits running in and getting immediately overpowered by the marauding prisoners, which we, we don't have the outfits, but we, you know, we have the marauding prisoners and the guards getting overpowered. But the other thing you need is wads of toilet paper flying everywhere. And there's no <laughs> toilet paper flying around in this scene. And I was like, this, is, this does not a prison riot make. I've seen prison riot scenes, and this ain't one. <laughs> Iko just can't get in the mood for this. He just backs into his cell and sits down on, what would you call it, Ben? You'd caught his cot, wouldn't you? I, I, would say, I would say that uh, he caught his cot as he stepped backwards. There you go. Somehow I feel like the luckiest man alive. Tuvok has left the bridge at this point and Chakotay's taken over a tactical. It's like one of the few moments Chakotay gets in this episode. But I feel less bad about it in this episode because like Tom and BLT and Harry don't have anything to do either. They really don't. So yeah, they scare away this attacking ship. It seems like, you know, we don't, we don't know anything about that ship at this point. Except it's beaming away prisoners. Like that's what it was there to do. It was trying. Yeah. And uh, and it fails. And um, well, it succeeds for some of them. I think only two. Oh, of does them, it? Yeah, 
I thought they got some off. Oh, man, I didn't realize that. Because it comes to a head like by the shuttle bay where Joleg and another guy are trying to shoot their way out. How badly do you wish they got to the Delta Flyer? They get in there like, what the fuck are these analog knobs about? (laughs) What nerd designed this? And it cuts to Tom back up on the bridge of the Voyagers, like finger in his collar going, (laughs) Yeah, yeah, they don't make it in there, but that's where they were headed. They get confronted by Yedek, and Jolig easily takes him prisoner and drags him back to the Briggs area. This is an intense scene. Yeah. Because when the prisoners take the wardens or the guards during a prison riot, it usually doesn't go very well for those guys. Yeah. They, and they like weld the door shut with a phaser. Yeah. Welcome to Con Air. This is all like coming to a head where Joleg is like getting ready to shoot Warden Yedek while he's like lying on the floor. And uh, from down the hallway, you hear Iko. And he's singing, and he goes, Joe Leg, Joe Leg, Joe Leg, Joe Leg. Killing hostages is hard to come back from. Great moment for Iko here, right? Iko saves Yaddick? By taking the dustbuster from him, he's like, look, let me do it. I gotta do this one, man. After all <laughs> he's done to me, come on. Yeah. So he does, except Aiko gives the dustbuster to Yedek. And then Yedek shoots Jolig. Wow. Oh, Jolig's got to be pissed about this. So this instance where Aiko saves Yedek's life leaves such an impression on Yedek that he decides to get the victim's family to hear Aiko's appeal for leniency. I love his take, like Tim Desharn's performance in that moment, like the, holy shit, he gave me the gun? And it is like smash cut to Iko apologizing to this family and going like, whatever you decide, just know that there's like no amount of sorrow I could possibly express for what I've taken from you. This is how it is though. And I'm not saying that it's right or it's wrong. I'm just saying this is the way it is. A person changes their opinion because a thing personally affects them. Yeah. And this is what happens to Yaddick here. Or they're smart and they like understand the data on the thing. Yeah, yeah that's not this. <laughs> I thought it was amazing that we get to watch the, the leniency plea happen on the bridge. Yeah. Can you imagine working on the bridge at a station not related to this? Like... You're just doing science over at the science station and you're hearing this guy plead. (laughs) I'm just going to put in my AirPods. (laughs) You're trying to like lower the volume on your computer so the the life form song doesn't drown out his plea. You precious little life. If you let me live, I will never hurt anyone again. Another great performance here. Boy, felt real bad for the extras that had to get putting all that loaf to just sit there for one shot yeah. so that we could then cut back around to the ECU of Ico doing this plea. And it, it is gut-wrenching, but they don't know him like we do, you know? Like, they haven't seen the journey he's been on. And they don't know who the fuck Voyager is. Like, this irritates me so much. Like, Ico gives 
this family more information than they can use or understand. He's like, you know, I've changed. My brains are different. And it's all thanks to these people here. The Voyager crew. Yeah. I'm going to now thank them all by name. And this family is like, who the, what is a Voyager? Yeah. Who who are these people? A politician with like a sex scandal standing at a podium with his wife and kids behind him. And it's like, we don't know who they are. They seem innocent in all this. It is a great performance. And it's all tied up with a, look, whatever you decide, I'm going to go with it. But just know, I'm sorry no matter what. I feel like he should have applied more pressure in order to save his life in this moment. Uh, oh, like gone with the hard sell? I just want to say, I think killing is wrong, no matter who does it, whether it's me or y'all or your government. I don't think that's the time for a uh, whatever you want to do, whatever. <laughs> like when your life is involved, I think you got to try a little harder. He slaps the hood on himself and says, this thing... Really feels bad. (laughs) He pulls a Benjamin R. Harrison from off screen. (laughs) This baby really feels guilty. A lot. (laughs) The emotion of that scene is so, so interesting in conversation with the emotion of the next scene where Neelix feels so used by Jolig. He's like down in the detention area going like, man... That was your brother's fucking ship. I transmitted that message to him in good faith. And like, you were fucking tricking me the whole time. And Jolik's like, hey, man, like, I don't know. I didn't know he was going to do that. How about give me some nanoprobes? Maybe I'll feel bad about it. I don't give a fuck. Fuck (laughs) you. Yeah. He's the scorpion to Neelix's frog. Mask off, Jolik. Damn. Do you think that Jolig, by doing the stomachache stunt, was making fun of Neelix? Or was he actually trying to pull a legit stomachache stunt the way oh. Ico did? Could he have known that that's what Ico went through? Because that happened in Six Bay. I like the meaner version of that read, like yeah. that he's doing this at Neelix, but I don't think that's what the show is doing. It would have really made me hate his character. I like that there's some ambiguity with his character, but... It would have been kind of fun for him to like really be an unredeemable villain at the end. I liked seeing Dark Neelix here too. Dark Neelix with the glowing red eyes. Like yeah. you rarely see this version of the, of this character, but he is disgusted by Jolig here. You make me sick, Jolig. Yeah. Jolig, 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 Jolig. I eat a lot of fleola root, but you make me sicker. I don't know, man. Maybe maybe go with the second draft on that one. Okay, well, I I didn't write these down ahead of time. (laughs) (laughs) I cannot believe how much more episode there is in this episode because in the ass lab, Ico has been permitted to look at the stars while he waits for the results of the appeal. This, This seems like a nice thing for the crew to do for him. Yeah. And there's this moment of hope. And this moment of hope is important to give because what you want to do is make someone feel something at the end of this episode. And this is how you give them a little bit of hope and then you take it away because he's got this hope and they start making plans. Seven's like, maybe you can get a job here. Like, 
Look at that guy. He's a guy we picked up along the way. Look at me. <laughs> I'm important. Hey, Egypt. I got a job. <laughs> I like looking up at the stars, too. It's better than looking down. <laughs> and like the moment they start making plans in walks Janeway and Yedick to smash his hope nuts to yeah. smithereens. The family's denied the appeal. And uh, before Ico goes, he's just got to look in Seven's eyes one last time. They're the only eyes that look at him without hating his fucking guts. Yeah. So they drop him off. Janeway checks in on Seven in the ass lab at the end. And Seven has not been sleeping uh, or recharging, as it were. Seven, I'm glad you're still awake. The Nigerians are broadcasting the execution on subspace. I really want to watch it in here because it's a really nice screen. <laughs> <laughs> it's the only screen on the ship with HDR, and I've, I've heard they're broadcasting it in 4K. <laughs> really gets the tone wrong at the end of this episode. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was an interesting conversation that like Seven didn't get like atonement by proxy, you know. Right. Which whether or not like his sentence was commuted or whatever, like it wouldn't have been possible either way. But this almost makes that easier of a sell, right? And I think it's a better move for Seven as a character from a writerly standpoint like that she is still a little torn up about what she represents to others and what, you know, was done by her body, even if it wasn't done by her conscious mind. Seven, you must understand. Iko killed one or two people and you killed thousands and thousands of people. There's nothing similar about your circumstances at all. You think anybody would be satisfied by you being put to death? There's no law to fit your crime. It's not like that for you. <laughs> and that is the scene the episode ends on, Ben. Did you like this episode? You know, I'm really easy to get along with most of the time. But I don't like bullying. I don't like threats. And I don't like you. I really liked this episode. I thought it was a chewy treatment of a pretty intense difficult set of uh subject matters like it didn't there were a couple of times when i did feel like it was sort of dodging away from going deeper into one of them specifically like there were a couple of conflicts that didn't resolve super well for me but all three of the key guest performers did really amazing jobs with their yeah. performances. And I think I was like worried that it would just be like a, well, we, there's nothing we can say about like the death penalty. We could just feel bad while we like help these people go get killed kind of episode. And um, it was so much more three dimensional than that and played so nicely in the ambiguities between light and dark and gave me a lot to think about. And, and like, and did it well within like the context of a couple of characters that have become really important to me over the course of watching this show. So mm -hmm. yeah, I, I, uh, I really enjoyed the episode. Yeah, I usually flip shit to this show for asking a lot of tough 
questions, but not really having the conviction to like have a strong opinion either way of the show. And this is an episode that does not also, I don't think, but in a, in a way that makes it a better episode. This is a moral question that is really, really difficult to adjudicate effectively, whatever, whatever side you're on. Yeah. And what I appreciate maybe more than anything is like that this wasn't an episode that was telling me how to feel a certain way. This was an episode that showed me how characters were feeling about the issue and allowed me to experience all the sides of that thing. Yeah. In a way that I really liked. Like, don't don't tell me how to feel. Show me how you feel. That's what I like about good television writing. And I found a lot of it here. In addition to those great performances, like those guest stars this episode, absolute killers yeah. as actors. Mm. You know, killing it in the game, not like murdering. Right. I don't think. Killing it in the game, not killing in the name of. Right. You want to check the Priority One inbox? Yep. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Ben, we got a Priority One message here. It's of a promotional nature. It's from Ellen. Hmm. Ellen's message goes like this. Thin Mints. Tagalongs. Mm. Samoas. Yeah. I love this. Are you looking to buy some Girl Scout cookies and support a future FOD at the same time? Ellen, you are killing me with this. (laughs) Look no further than my daughters, Lizzie and Allie. Wow. We're working our way through TNG and learning Girl Scout ideals like inclusivity, caring leadership, and STEM. Damn. Cookies sold in Colorado are still only $5 a box. They can be ordered online and shipped directly to your door. Ben and Adam, because it deserves a replay, let's hear the Maggie O'Calloran drop. Would you like to hold my hand? Would you like to kiss me? Oh, good morning, boys. The spirits have turned her into a cow. I'm not quite myself today. Oh. What kind of a girl do you think I am? Bitch, I'm a cow. I was walking around town with nothing but a bell around my neck. Everyone was staring at me. Wow. (laughs) Ellen, one of the great promotional priority one messages here. I cannot believe the audacity of you selling Girl Scout cookies on a P1 message. Fantastic. Incredible. Here's how you can do this. Yeah. How do we do it? Go to tinyurl.com slash Lizzie Cookie Sale. Okay, that's L-I-Z-Z-Y. C-O-O-K-I-E-S-A-L-E. Or tinyurl.com slash Sale. That's A-L-L-Y-C-O-O-K-I-E-S-A-L-E. So Look at me. I already preferred buying cookies from Lizzie and not Allie. I think they're both good. How about this? You buy cookies from Lizzie. I'll buy cookies from Allie. We hope that the friends right. of DeSoto distribute their purchases equally among the two. Let's not, like, make one feel bad and the other feel good let's let's make lizzie and Allie big winners in their uh in their troop you know i had forgotten that it was girl scout cookie season i have no girl scout cookies in my home i'm gonna change that i'm gonna go to one of these urls 
Got to. Lizzie cookie sale or alley cookie sale at the end of a tinyurl.com. Get those cookies. Man, amazing. Get your Thin Mints, Tagalongs, or Samoas. Really the the trinity of Girl Scout cookies you need to be concerned with. I'm a Samoas guy. Always have been. I could eat an entire box of Samoas. Have you tried Thin Mints? Yeah, I have. And and we always have Thin Mints. And they're great. But I can't eat an entire box of Thin Mints. Oh, man. I could I could eat multiple boxes. Oh, that's a stomachache stunt that uh, that Joe Leg wouldn't even do. What about the dosey doughs? That's that's a solid one. That, that that's the peanut butter sandwich one, right? Get that out of here. What? Yeah, can't do it. You're fucking crazy. Yeah, I am. I'm loco. Don't you know I'm loco? <laughs> well, uh, good luck to Lizzie and Allie, and uh, thanks to Ellen for getting a P1. If you'd like to get a P1, it's maximumfun.org slash jumbotron yeah they go a long way towards helping us make this show possible so we really appreciate folks like Ellen for doing a P1 hey Adam what's up Ben did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda incredible drunk Shimoda I mean in terms of a like what are you doing type character (laughs) what are you doing who is that character in this episode I have one. Who, who's yours? Maybe that'll help me. There is a moment when those bangers start getting dropped on Voyager where they're on the bridge and they're like, stuff is going on also down in our makeshift prison. And there's just a shot of Tuvok leaving the bridge wordlessly. Yeah. And like when we cut back to the bridge, Chakotay has taken over at tactical. But like, like you're getting shot at by a ship, like also Tuvok. Like you got to delegate. What's the greater threat? You got to delegate. Like you either delegate going down to the prison or you delegate the tactical station. But if you're delegating the tactical station, which you are, you got to tell somebody about it, you know? I don't want to tell anyone how to do their job. But Tuvok, I think you could probably stay put, hit a couple blurps on your keyboard, release just a shitload of uh, neurazine gas down there. Yeah. Put this riot down. Put it down. Get people high at the same time. I, If I was in Starfleet security, I would tell my boss, like, if I need to get neurazined a few times per quarter <laughs> because a riot breaks out and you just need to put it down, I'm not complaining. Like, I'm down for that shit. Yeah. Knock my ass out. So Tuvok is my drunk Shimoda in this episode. I think I'm going to make mine Tuvok just for the amount of choices he made with his Build-A-Brig setup in the cargo bay. I love that. You know that wasn't off the rack. He's customizing those cells in a big way. And I like to think about him doing it. He doesn't have many joys in his life. Got to believe this is one of them. You'd never know it, though. Ben, I'm so excited to know about what the next episode is going to be. Oh, boy. The next episode is Star Trek Voyager Season 7, Episode 14, Prophecy. A group of Klingons separated from the rest of their race believes Balana's unborn child is the savior foretold in their sacred scrolls. I can't believe I completely forgot Balana is pregnant. Holy shit. So did I. I guess when she was in uh, in Neelix's mess earlier, she was just cropped to the window. Yeah. Yeah, it must have been something like that. Hmm. 
Well, I've gone over to the game of buttholes, the will of the caretaker. Keep that over at gach.biz slash game. Mm. See how we're going to watch this next episode. I'm pregnant with anticipation, tell you that much. Ben, our runabout is currently on square 13. Okay. Five squares ahead, a Quark's Bar Drunkasode square. Oh, shit. Could do without that. Could do without that. You're required to learn as you play. Roll. That's it, Ben. That's uh, the only danger ahead. I'm going to roll the die. Okay. You know what I did. Roll to five. <laughs> This is what we deserve. <laughs> we deserve bad things. Yeah. Okay. Wow. <laughs> I feel like you've rarely... I'm looking at the FODs on the camera right now, watching us record this live. I'm, I feel like you could really hear the disappointment in Ben's voice there in, in a way you've maybe never heard before. I don't know what's going on with me, man. I was trying... You're like, too I, sick for drinking. I stopped drinking for a long time. Yeah. For your health. Because my stupid belly. Yeah. And then, like, I had, like, four little drinks on Friday night over the course of five and a half hours. Yeah. And I'm still fucking hungover. Yeah. So, man, I don't know what's going on with me. I'm falling apart. Maybe you're allergic. <laughs> like what you told everyone in high school when they invited you to parties. Yeah. <laughs> I'm allergic to it. <laughs> To hot girls. (laughs) I mean, is there a variation of drunk episode that we could get you through? No, I'm. I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna get. I'm gonna get my birdie ready. It's gonna be fine. Drunk episode isn't power hour. Drunk episode is just drinking hard. Yeah. I'll make a couple of martinis. It'll be fine. All right. It's gonna be fine. I'm not gonna suffer. We're not recording this one until next week. You're gonna feel fine then. Yeah, well, uh, we'll see. <laughs> oh, is there something I don't know about? I mean, not to timestamp this episode, but we're going to fucking Sketchfest in uh-huh. between now and then, and we're probably going to do a little bit of drinking in San Francisco. So I'm just, I'm, I'm gun shy is what's going on. All right. Well, I've taken drinking episodes off before. A, a fact that you've never let me forget. Yeah, I don't do that. I don't, I don't <laughs> fuck our listeners over like that. Whoa. <laughs> okay. Well, looking forward to whatever that turns out to be next week. <laughs> Jeez. Looking forward to it, Adam. <laughs> Are you? Are you sure about that? In the meantime, we got to thank all of the friends of DeSoto who support this show on a monthly basis. MaximumFun.org slash join. Get your butts ready for the Max Fun Drive. Like a month away. Oh, yeah. It's coming down the pipe. Yeah, I'm pumped. I'm, I've never been more pumped for a Max Fun Draft. Hey, listen. Tomorrow, the 13th of February, <laughs> it's the card daddy, Bill Tilly's birthday. If you, uh, if you encounter him on the socials tomorrow, oh. make sure uh, you show some love to that guy. The card daddy does a great job for us. Nobody puts more love out into the world and deserves more back. Yeah. Her daddy, Bill Tilly. He deserves all his flowers. God bless that guy. Happy birthday, Bill. 
Thanks to Adam Ragusea, who uh, made the original theme music of this show. Check out a online community of Friends of DeSoto on your social network of choice. People on uh, on Facebook, on Reddit, Discord, DrunkShimoda.com, Discord. All lovely communities of like-minded FODs. And, uh, hey, really appreciate everybody that uh, gets together and, and has fun with this thing. With that, we will be back at you next week with another great episode of Star Trek Voyager and an episode of The Greatest Generation Voyager where uh, some long-lost Star Trek podcasters come in contact with me and Adam and think that the next episode of our show is the great episode that has been foretold in their prophecies and they think that like they should get it and not us. Man. That was great. You really tied it all in. Yeah, I tried to. I don't know. Make it so. Maximum Fun. A worker-owned network of artist-owned shows. Supported directly by you.